What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Movie Crush Friday Interview Edition. And folks, this is a real treat because uh, something special is happening today. We have in his own home studio our new-ish producer, Seth Johnson, who I don't even really know aside from Mm -hmm. emailing. This is the first time I've seen your face. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hello. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Happy to be here. It's a it's a pleasure. I, I genuinely love this show, so it's been great to work on it. And uh, I, I was very excited when you asked me to be a guest. So here I am. Let's do this. Yeah, man. I mean, this is something that I was wanting to do anyway, because I thought it would be a fun way to get to know you and for the listeners to get to know you and for you to become more a part of the show. And then I also... Um, you know how kind of close we've been playing it these days. I looked up and I was like, oh my God, I don't have anything ready for Friday. And uh, yeah. I said, this might be the perfect time. And you stepped right in. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Uh, before we get going on the movie, I thought, uh, you know, we should get to know each other a little bit. I don't even know anything about you. I don't know where you're from or what your story is. So where are you from? Uh, born in Eugene, Oregon. I'm oh. from the uh, Pacific Northwest. Nice. And then um, I moved around a lot as a as, as a youth. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've lived basically everywhere on the West Coast. Okay. Uh, so I lived in Portland for a while. Yeah. Lived up by uh, Seattle. Lived in a town called Spokane for a while. Uh-huh. Then I moved down to Los Angeles. Lived there for a while. And then um, then I moved here probably when I was gosh. 30-ish, maybe okay. like five or more years ago. I don't know, a while ago. But uh, I, I basically, here's here's a very long story short. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Childhood in Oregon, mm-hmm. teenage slash high school years in Washington, Okay. 
20s and whatnot in Los Angeles. And now okay. I've been spending my 30s here in Atlanta. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a very quick version of that. What years were you in Los Angeles? That would have been around uh, 2008-ish until, uh, who knows, maybe 2015, 2016, something like that. Okay. I was wondering if we had any overlap, but I left L.A. in like 2004, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've heard uh, uh, glimmerings of your stories yeah. through through podcasting you've done. Uh, do you miss it at all? Because my wife misses it like crazy. She She wants to move back all the time. Oh, really? Um, mm-hmm. I don't miss living in L.A. I certainly, you know, I ended up back in Atlanta where I'm from after many, many years of about 20 years of being away. And so this is like this is it for us. But uh, I do love to visit L.A. and I have a lot of really good friends in L.A. And uh, I miss visiting L.A., of course, right now more than ever. Right. But um, where did you guys live out there? Um, let's see. We lived in East Hollywood when I first got there. All right. Like Los Feliz or? Oh, no, no, no. Not nowhere as fancy as that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, real dirt East Hollywood. Like the, the kind of like um, place where you wake up and someone has sa- siphoned your gas tank. Uh-huh. You know, that that kind of East <laughs> East Hollywood. And um, yeah, it, it was all right. And then we lived there for, for a while. My wife and I got married while we were still living down there and then uh-huh. moved, moved into our own place in more like the... Um, you know, like the Palms region, kind of near like um, uh, Culver City, kind yeah, of that yeah. that zone. Mm-hmm. Then we lived there for a while, and that was wonderful. Uh, there, there's, you know, as you know, I'm sure there's a lot of great things about living in that city, sure. uh, especially if you're there for the entertainment industry, which which was why I was there. I, I've been working uh, before my podcasting career recently. Uh-huh. I've worked as an animator for like I don't oh, know cool. ten or fifteen years. So that's that's actually. Part of why I ended up in Atlanta was for more animation work. Wow. Now tell me about animation. Like what, what was your history there? What did you work on? Um, lots of things you've heard of and lots of things you haven't heard okay. of, <laughs> you know? Um, so like, for example, uh, my most famous shows that I worked on would be like um, Archer, um, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, oh, yeah. Squidbillies, um, Fargo, uh, Legion. Um, oh, oh, most recently, um, I did a whole bunch of stuff on that uh, new show, um, uh, Cake. I, I have many oh, cool. little the stuff with uh, your friend uh, John Hodgman on yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, that, that's that's a wonderful show, and I really love uh, all the things that contributed to that. And, um, you know, the way the, the system works, I still have a movie coming out next year. Uh-huh. And let's see here. What else do I have? Oh, and one more superhero themed tv show coming out on fxx at some point in the future but you know who knows <laughs> that's awesome now what did, what did you do i mean were you drawing stuff uh that's how it started i started uh-huh. as a, as an animator and uh did whatever anyone asked of me and yeah. then um you know you move up you become a lead and when i left i was the director of short form programming and that's why i was working on cake Mm-hmm. And um, even as a director, you're still doing a lot of drawing. <laughs> so uh, yeah. I was still doing lots and lots of animation, even as a director towards the end. Now, what brought the career change over to podcasting and how did you come by us? Uh, it, it did a couple of things. One, um, I'm sure many people have experienced this in whatever field they're in, but you reach a certain age and you look around and you mm-hmm. realize that like everyone around you is just getting younger and younger. <laughs> and yeah. perhaps this isn't the kind of career path where you want to grow old in, you yeah. know? And that's, of course, no offense to anyone who has made an amazing career in animation. But um, I, I noticed for myself when I reached a certain plateau where mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I did it. Like, I, I, I did it. I reached the top. I'm very happy. And I guess there's nowhere else to go if I'm going to be living in Atlanta and doing this life. I guess I'm done. And and so it just felt very natural just to be like, well, I've I've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish Uh and I'm – 
I'm done now. And um, very, very luckily, um, I'm the kind of guy where I do something for free for a decade, uh-huh. and then someone eventually offers me to do it for money, yeah. and then it becomes a career. Like right. That's how I became an animator, uh-huh. and then uh, that's how I became a podcaster. Because the whole time I was working as an, as an animator, I did a bunch of independent podcasts on my own time. Uh-huh. And then uh, a buddy of mine, uh, who I'm sure you know, uh, um, uh, A. Howe, a.k.a. Andrew Howard. Andrew Howard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he he, he works at the studio. <laughs> Ahow produces. Um, let's see, uh, Sminty. He produces oh, okay. Saber and a couple other shows. All right. Yeah, uh, but but yeah, he's a wonderful dude, and um, he said to me one day, "Hey, my my boss Jerry is looking for some uh, new audio producers. I know you've been doing this for a decade on your own. You uh-huh. want to come like do it for real?" And I'm like. Yeah, why not? <laughs> you know, yeah. and so I popped over just just on a whim, and uh, it's been so much fun. I, I've been doing this with you guys for about a year and a half now, and I love it. Yeah, it's such, I mean, such a great world. Now that I see you, I have noticed your face around the office, but I feel like there are always. Um, I can't even picture Andrew in my head, but I know I'd kick myself if I did see him. Oh, I mean, it's all these people in the office that when we when we all end up going back, I'm uh-huh. just not going to recognize them anymore. Know. You know, <laughs> all of our hair will all be grown out. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, how have you um, have you enjoyed the transition to the audio side? Is it uh, has, is it fulfilling? Is it more or less challenging? Um, honestly, I, I love most of all how easy it is to get something on the air. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, speed. like for, for, I'm sure, as you know, too, from living in Los Angeles. You have the world's best projects mm-hmm. that have everything going for them. And then one little thing goes wrong and then millions and millions of dollars are, are gone, yeah. you know? And um, I, I, well, hmm, I, I'm, I'm debating whether or not I should give you specific funny examples towards right. the end of my <laughs> animation career. I'll give you one. I'll give you one. Okay. This, this yeah. one's very, very public. Okay. Um, I was working on a um, pilot for a show about these uh, two police officers. They got these two stand-up comedians to play these two police officers, just legends in their field, uh-huh. doing their thing. You can probably see where I'm going with this. Yeah. And it was starring Albert Brooks uh-huh. and Louis C.K. Oh, wow. And it was a wonderful show. I really, really enjoyed it. Albert Brooks, of course. Yeah. Legend among legends. He's Tor- the greatest. Yeah, yeah. And um, the show got picked up. It was going to be airing on TBS. And right in the middle of the production... Louis C.K. got in a lot of trouble, yeah, rightfully he so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And therefore, the entire show, the entire production, completely out the window. You can Google this. And you can still find like still shots on, oh, on the wow. internet of them getting ready to promote this show. And it's just never going to happen, you know, period. Jeez. That's it. Did you Years. Com- did you complete episodes and everything? Yeah. 100%. Were they yeah. great? Um, yeah. No, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Mostly because oh, I, I love Albert Brooks. Yeah. 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 And then um, another one, too. I, I, again, I debate saying this stuff out loud, but when it reaches like the public sphere, I, yeah. I believe you can talk about it. The other one is um, myself and my my a bunch of my friends, my coworkers. We were working on that uh, Donald Glover um, uh, uh, Deadpool animated series, oh, yeah. the one that w- was getting all kinds of hype and everything. We, some of my favorite animation I've ever done was for the pilot for that, uh-huh. and no one will ever see it uh-huh. ever. It's heartbreaking. So, so that kind of stuff, like the fact that I spent, I don't know, 15 years as an animator and yeah. maybe seven of it actually made it to fruition. Yeah. Yeah. Podcasting is very quick. Like you said, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the no brainer example is we're recording this on a Wednesday. It's out on Friday. Yes. Uh, but you can also get a get a show going and if it's a easy lift in a matter of weeks, if you want to. Oh, 
Yeah. No, no. I mean, again, as an animator, there are shows that I pitched when I was, oh, I don't know, oof, maybe maybe six years in and I'd be like pushing it for like half a decade mm-hmm. and then you get real close, then it falls away and real yeah. close, then it falls away. Um, I, I know you're close with um, John Hodgman. Do you know uh, Jesse Thorne as well? Oh yeah. Yeah. Jesse's a good friend. Me and Jesse had an animated series we were pitching together and it oh, was no so good. I loved it more than anything. It was me, Jesse and Jordan. Oh, and it was so cool. It was the greatest. And um, no, it's just bad timing. Multiple times, bad timing. Just it yeah. never, it never connected. And you know, what, what can you do? Yeah. It's, uh, it's heartbreaking. It's like, I, you know, I used to want to write movies and uh, I still dabble in that stuff sometimes just for fun, but it's like, why would anyone want to, get involved in that business it's it's just heartbreak after heartbreak and uh it's rare that anyone breaks through at all and even when you do like i have plenty of friends who write for tv and stuff that uh you think all right well i got a job writing on television i'm i'm set as a writer and that's just not the case it's it's always just you're always scrapping unless you really get to a certain point where you're always working or you're always someone's first or second call and sought out but otherwise, it's just a grind, man. Even even mm-hmm. actors just uh, auditioning and getting constantly rejected. It's it's brutal. Why does anyone even want to do it? <laughs> and the finish line, it doesn't exist either. Like yeah. I used to feel when I was younger that I'm like, oh man, when I reach these certain these certain hallmarks, like like for example, um, when I was working on Archer, super duper proud of it. I, yeah. I won my first Emmy, and I was so happy. I was like, wow, I did it. Like this is like the pinnacle, right, uh-huh. everyone? And no, nothing. You know what I yeah. mean? Like you still don't get like residuals as an animator. You don't like, you know, right. suddenly get like a big pay boost. You're still working for like, you know, a cable evening TV show. It, like it's just, it, there, there is no end point. Yeah. Like as soon as the show that you are so proud of happens, it ends. You're unemployed. And then you start over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. What uh, you, you never could get Jesse on Archer. I know that's uh, kind of a running joke for him. It, I mean, it, not joke, a real dream. Oh yeah, no, I tried. I yeah. absolutely tried. That that's definitely how Jesse and I first met. Was um, I drew some fan art of John Hodgman because John had ruled on a case of mine for Judge John Hodgman. Oh, like and you were an actual litigant, or was it a? a, I, a quick I, one? I was a litigant. Oh, cool. And, Which one was um, it? He he actually wrote it up for one of his New Yorker magazine oh, okay. gotcha. ones, and um, I, I lost. It was uh, I love music more than anything, and so yeah. I have an, an absolutely astronomical sized. Um, music collection. Uh-huh. I like to just have it out on display so yeah. I can grab from it whatever I want. My wife wanted to move it to the basement and uh, <laughs> the, the, the honorable judge, John Hodgman, uh, decreed that I had to move my collection to the basement, which is where it is. <laughs> so Interesting. I wonder, were you yeah. the one who set precedent of his, uh, of his now multiple rulings on collections? Uh, I can't remember how he words it, but it's like if you actually display it, Mm-hmm. then it's a collection. If you don't display it, then I don't think he calls it hoarding, but yeah, something about like being in use or yeah. not in use or something like that. <laughs> I, I'm sure there've been many cases that have followed yeah. down the same, uh, the totally. same path, <laughs> but uh, so yeah, I, I drew some fan art of John judge, John Hodgman, uh-huh. Jesse Thorne contacted me and was like, Oh, Hey, I, I, I love this image. Can I use this on like a poster? I'm like, Oh, of course, of course. And I was like, Oh, and by the way, I work on the show Archer and we appreciate how often you talk about the show. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, really? I love Archer. Can I be a voice? I'm That's like, great. And I've tried, I've tried, but it's never come up. <laughs> oh, I hope it happens for him. He's actually uh, going to be on next week. So you'll be, uh, 
you'll be hearing Jesse. Nice. We're going to record next Wednesday. Nice. He's, he's a great dude. I, I love Jesse Thorne for every reason in the world. Yeah, he's he's a good guy. Uh, I just in fact, I just finished listening to his bullseye interview with David Letterman today. Yes, me too. Uh, which, boy, man, it was so good. I don't know if you heard it yet. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. And and just, I, I don't know, like, I, I, I feel Jesse's excitement when he lands an interview like that. I know. You know? It's pretty yeah. great. But he still manages mm-hmm. to be a professional, whereas, I mean, I'm not a professional interviewer. I do all the wrong things by gushing and telling people how much I love them and all the things you're not supposed to do. But uh, they're, they're conversations on my end. Jesse's a pro. He's a real pro. Oh, he's I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't even call myself a friend of his. He and I worked on a project once. So I, I feel free to uh, gush and uh, be very excited about Jesse Thorne. Um, he's one of the best interviewers he I've really ever listened is. to. He's so good. But like just not, not only making the guest feel comfortable, uh-huh. making them feel like appreciated, you know, yeah. like so many times. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really great. Uh, I, I love that uh, series he did. I can't remember what he called it, but where he was interviewing other uh, interviewers. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was really very insightful stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, before we get going, too, want to talk to you a little bit about uh, Noel kind of gave me a little insider thing that you actually cut and make uh, vinyl LPs yourself. I do. I do. Uh, How do technically, you do that? <laughs> technically what i do is lathe embossing which is slightly different from cutting okay but uh but yeah no it's it's all it, i make records um i i run a small record label and um i'm in the room right now where i do it uh-huh. I'm looking at the machine over there <laughs> um ba- basically the I, i'm sure you know this as a musician and as a person who likes music when you go to get a real vinyl record pressed at a, a vinyl pressing plant uh-huh it you it costs so much yeah. you know mostly it's because you have to make that stamp you know that has like the two record sides on it uh-huh. so when you're pressing that vinyl you got to like make the cost of creating this giant stamp worthwhile more or less yeah so you need to order at least 300 to 500 copies of this record and you have to wait like three months for it to get back to you and all this stuff and, and just like that that barrier of entry for mm-hmm. musicians is just too much yeah. i mean I don't know about you, but 99.99% of the musicians I know, we're unpopular. Yeah. We are, we do it for fun. And it's, it's, it's not because it's a moneymaker. It's because it's a great time, you know? Right. And so I wanted to find an option that could let, let an artist release one or two records if uh-huh. they wanted to, or, or, you know, 10, 50, whatever, anything right. less than 300. And um, so, yeah, I bought a machine. Uh, it's one of those very old timey, um, like it, like my machine's like a hundred years old. Wow! Back in like the nineteen uh, twenties, nineteen thirties, like the radio days, what they would do is you know if they had to rebroadcast something mm-hmm. either for a later time or if they had to um, you know send it overseas for like a um, an army radio station or something. Yeah, they would make these quick records that sound terrible, honestly. Uh-huh. Like that's that's what they would make them for, and just just they have something, some some duplication device, and those machines obviously went. Um, uh, became uh, obsolete yeah. when like, you know, reel to reels and then later digital files and all that came into play. So people just started going out there and buying up these machines wherever they could and mm-hmm. turning them into basically their own home mini record pressing plants. Wow. And uh, that's, that's what I do now. And it's, it's so much fun and it's, it's just great to be able to help artists because, you know, really famous popular artists don't need the help yeah. <laughs> they're fine you know if, if they can afford to make 500 copies of a record they're obviously doing just fine on their own yeah, but yeah. I, I i get to support all the artists who have zero for fans you know and yeah. and have zero money and just like oh hey can i 
make 50 copies because I really, really, really want just this one scene to know that I've made a physical record that I'm so uh-huh. proud of. I'm like, absolutely, let's do it. You know, wow. and it's it's great. I love it. That is so cool. So someone records something. I mean, how does that process work? In a nutshell, it goes like this. Um, basically, my machine, it goes through a couple of, uh, you know, like a little daisy chain of electronics uh-huh. down into a little um, uh, one uh, eighth inch uh, headphone jack okay you know, like like yeah and basically you can turn that into um you know a, a guitar cable you can turn it into whatever you want uh-huh. and you just whatever you put into there it will then go through a system it's just like a graphic equalizer and like a preamp and then it just goes into a uh, a little magnet thingamajig that has a little ruby stylus okay that you press into a thing and then it's got a little you know a gear thing and it moves across the record and it it embosses the song through vibration wow. into, into it and um it's it's really simple uh-huh. but then like the hard part is just trying to make it sound good <laughs> you yeah, know yeah. like to, to get it to work isn't that difficult to make it sound good is nearly impossible and that's the fun part uh-huh. you know is is to like kind of fight the machinery and fight the music and Holy find cow, a way man. that it works that is so it's cool great. well when the uh end times are over uh, i'm gonna invite myself over to see this in person absolutely if that's Anytime. okay <laughs> it's uh, hundred percent it's 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 just a grand old time and, and i know you make music too so well if there's anything of. you feel like doing <laughs> just let me know because it's it's great to just kick out something just yeah. for your own collection too like, yeah. like um, I, i've had friends who have like uh what what am i i've had a couple of really sweet things where like a, a friend of mine he um had a recording of his wife's uh, ultrasound mm. and then he has sound from her birth uh-huh. and then he has sound from like her first words. Wow. He edited them all together. I put it on a record for him and he gave it to his wife <laughs> so as like cool. an anniversary present. Stuff like that oh, is just interesting. Wonderful. All right, that gives me some ideas you know? then. Yeah. 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 Oh, anyway, cool. I, I guess, I guess I'll plug it anyway. Uh, go to hauntedbirthday.com. That's my record label. If anyone yeah, feels absolutely. like checking it out, it's fun in stuff. Fact, I'm going to put that in my computer right now and check it out later. Uh, it, uh, I have a little side story to that. My mom, uh, grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, and she, uh, before uh, Sun Studios was Sun Studios, it was the Memphis Recording Company, I think it was called, and you could come in off the street and record something. And right, my right. mom, uh, my mom played, I think, a saxophone maybe when she was a kid, and my granddad took her in there, and she actually cut a record at what would become Sun Records uh, later on when it was the the Memphis Recording uh, Studio or. I don't know if I'm getting that name right, but uh, it's very cool, cool little story. And she doesn't have the record. I wish she did. That'd be awesome. It's um, it's it's the technology is not too dissimilar, even from uh, you ever been to a third man records up in Nashville. Yeah, I did go in there and I wanted to record something, but I got nervous and didn't. <laughs> but 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 the, the, the technology of their record your own record booth yeah. in their little like gift shop. Uh-huh. The technology is not too dissimilar from that. Yeah, it made me want to buy those uh, booths. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, that's so cool, man. I love that. Where do you guys live here in Atlanta? Uh, kind of near East Atlanta Village. Okay. Yeah, you're not far. I'm in East Lake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You got kids? Oh, uh, no, no. I, I have my wife and I who've been together for a very long time. But uh, but no, we have we have no children nor plans for children. All right. Well, that's the right way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love my daughter, but I get it. You can't make your own records when you got a kid around. Yes, that's true. <laughs> well, that's cool, man. Uh, it's good to meet you. And we uh, you we're going to well. talk a little bit about... Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Uh, you sent over a kind of a quick list, uh, hard day's night, which I actually already did on the show with Ken Jennings, uh, pre you. And, um, 
the other one, how do you pronounce the the other movie? Uh, Koyana Skatsi. Right. I didn't know anything about that. And I'm definitely, definitely going to watch that uh, after I did a little bit of research on it. It looks very, very cool. Oh, yeah. And, and the whole trilogy is good, too. Koyana Skatsi, Poikatsi, and Nakoikatsi. All three of them are wonderful. I, I love them. Um, um, I, I know you're a big music guy, too. And um, it's basically watching the world's best visualizer for a Philip Glass album. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> I'm all over and that. And it's, 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 it, it actually turned into a game amongst my friends and I where we just called it Kotzi, where we were so excited just to listen to music all the time. Uh-huh. But you kind of don't want to just like sit in a chair and stare at each other when you listen to music. Yeah. So you turn on the TV and mute it, and then yeah. you listen to albums, and you wait for it to sync up. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I used to do games like that. There was generally a bong involved as well. <laughs> yes, of course, of course. It, 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 it's the, uh, the, the the social lubricant in that situation. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I, I do want to see that. Um, yeah, I watched the trailer for it, and it looks right at my alley. And now it's it's a bit of a time capsule as well, which is kind of cool. Yes, for sure, for sure. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. 
This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, but Scott Pilgrim versus the World, uh, a movie that is hard to believe is 10 years old, that I really loved and saw it, uh, it, it watching it again today. I really was mad that I never got to see this in the movie theater. I think I came on a little bit late and saw it uh, when it came out on DVD or mm-hmm. maybe even a streaming service. And uh, my wife and I both loved it. And I think I saw it a couple of times back then. But uh, this seems like a movie that would have been a lot of fun to see in a theater uh, from the great Edgar Wright. Um, what was what's your history with this movie? How did you come about it? Uh, I definitely remember seeing it in theaters, mm-hmm. and you are correct in that I bet it would have been fun to see with an audience, but I did not because I saw it in theaters. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, yeah it, was, it didn't perform that well, did it? No, which which still to this moment astonishes me. Yeah. I, I don't understand that in the least. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I was really excited for it. I had read the comics, and um, I, I obviously was a big fan of everyone involved as an actor, but I was also really, really excited about the music involved. Yeah. Like I, I'd heard that Beck was writing the music for Sex Bob-omb and that Metric oh, was I writing. I, I didn't know he did. Oh yeah, no. Here, so I'll, I'll throw down a few um, deeper music things in this. Uh, so all of the Sex Bob-omb songs were written by Beck. Okay, and that's kind of why they're so good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I mean, this movie wouldn't have worked if they weren't really good songs. Exactly, and then um, the Clash at Demon Head. All of their songs were written by Metric. Okay. And then um, Crash and the Boys, all their songs were written by Broken Social Scene. Oh, yeah. And so um, I, I had heard about that. And so that that's initially what drew me in. And uh-huh. I saw how good the soundtrack was. And I was like, all right, I, obviously this is going to be good if they're putting this kind of effort and energy into the soundtrack, you yeah. know? Um, so, yeah, me and my friends went and saw it. And, man, I, I still remember um, – so there's the opening uh, uh, Universal logo with like the 8-bit, and that's real cool and fun. Yeah, that is awesome. And then when they start playing that very first song, and you see Knives Chow's face of uh-huh. just like pure bliss and yeah. discovery, and the, the room kind of falls back, and the lightning bolts are coming <laughs> off, yeah, and so then it great. goes into this beautiful animated sequence for the opening credits, like I, I just felt chills all over my body and like oh i'm experiencing something incredible for the first time right now and i'm realizing how good it is in the moment i'm so happy right now you know yeah i mean it was it's it's really a movie unlike any other i think it's um i was sort of trying to categorize it and here's what i came up with is a a comic book fantasy video game martial arts romantic comedy (laughs) (laughs) it's it's sort of all those things and it wouldn't have worked if it hadn't have been funny it wouldn't have worked if there hadn't been a great love story at the heart of it and Mm -hmm. uh it's also a hero's journey it wouldn't have worked as well if the martial arts scenes weren't so fucking amazing um all the all the video game and it's it's maybe the most comic booky uh, comic book movie I've ever seen too. Like they really oh, nailed yeah. it, and they, yeah, they succeeded. So many people have tried, yeah. but they really succeeded in making it feel like a comic book with all the all the graphic flourishments and just like the action and, and the way the shots kind of progress the storyline, like with their visual 
you know, like where it mirrors what a comic panel would do, but in a completely different medium, which is just astonishing yeah. that he accomplished it, you know? Yeah. Like I'm trying to like, this is a movie that is very much built in an edit room, but it's also a movie that I can't imagine how meticulously it was storyboarded. Right. Um, it's not a movie where you just, you know, you shoot your wide and you shoot your over the shoulders and you get your coverage and move on. Like I imagine Edgar Wright was very, very specific and how like everything, how one shot went to another and even little small shots like that, that one where, uh, where Scott just twirls around and all of a sudden it's not him, but it's, uh, oh, who's the lead singer? Uh, well, Steven Stills, which is pretty yes. funny. <laughs> um, like just little things like that. It just, everything married together so well that the split screens and all the different stuff that looks like a comic book page, uh, it's just so lively and energetic and, like all his movies are that, but uh, this one really just like is a, an assault on the senses in all the right way. I think. Oh, for sure. And and to to what you're saying, here's what I've heard about Edgar Wright. Obviously, I don't know the man. Who knows? But from what I've heard is that he likes to plan his animatics down to the millisecond. You know, because that's the way he gets his like music just right. Yeah. And then he basically he breaks down everything from his animatics into just a shopping list. Right. And then he's he says, at least for him, that it's not too difficult to film a movie because he already knows exactly what he's looking for. So right. like the big question to him is, did I get it or did I not get it? And that's yeah. it. You know, it's just it's just a shopping list. And uh, from what I've heard, that was very valuable when he was making Baby Driver. Yeah, because well, that sure. is so reliant on hitting these musical beats and having these moments. So exactly. Yes, exactly. And I, and I think I would assume that he learned a lot about syncing music to scene to telling a story from Scott Pilgrim that he used in Baby Driver. No, absolutely. You can um, – I mean the movies aren't really anything alike, uh, but the DNA is there and – uh, it, it's for sure like a, a 1.0 version of what Baby Driver would become as far as syncing and marrying music to film uh, like like I'd never seen before in Baby Driver. Yes, but um, sure. the I know Nigel Godrich actually worked on. Did he do the score for this? He did. He did the score and he was the executive music producer. So, okay. I mean, like. That's astonishing. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, he's got all kinds of cred from his Radiohead sure. production stuff and whatnot. But also, um, him as a musician, he's got this really amazing band called Ultra Ista that I uh -huh. love. So, like, it's it's great when you see people who don't get the credit for being a musician get these huge, like, gigs. Like, yeah. whoa, check it out. Look at your score. And um, I, I also love how often uh, Nintendo themes are woven into yeah. the, the score it's it just fun. <laughs> it, it feels so good um from what i heard um basically uh edgar wright had to write to nintendo and wrote this big gushing letter about how um the nintendo songs from uh legend of zelda specifically but also mario and tetris and etc uh -huh. um they are the lullaby of this generation yeah and without that that kind of like glue to like bind things together mm -hmm. he felt like the story would be false yeah and nintendo to their credit was like absolutely go go for it <laughs> you oh, know totally it's great for them i yeah. mean he, he could have i'm sure they could have written some stuff that would have subbed in nicely but mm -hmm. there's something about using the those real music stings like yeah. you said that everyone uh is so familiar with like it really hit a generation in just the right way um and then, you know, the the songs, the needle drops on some of these songs, too, from other artists. Some sure. of my favorite artists, like the the uh, the perfection of I Heard Ramona sing from Frank Black. 
and uh beachwood sparks who was one of my favorite bands when i lived in la that's when they were big saw them a couple of times back then and that cover of uh Chardet's by your side is mm-hmm. you know I was waiting for someone to use that in a movie and someone finally did. And Beachwood Sparks got a little recognition and they were, they were pretty small, you know, fairly regional band. I feel like, uh, in that Southern California scene back in the early two thousands, but just love seeing them get a little love in this movie too. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, um, one of my favorite jokes from this movie, uh, was one of those needle drop moments. It's, um, let's see, they're, they're all doing their thing. They, uh, a uh, sex bomb is facing off against the two twins and they're having that big like amp yeah. to amp battle. <laughs> they literally blew the roof off the place. Yeah. And so like some snow is coming in through that uh, hole in the roof. Uh-huh. Scott is walking through the crowd. He passes by knives chow. She's looking extremely sad and dejected. And she's standing in this little like almost like spotlight of snow and sadness. Uh-huh. And then the song um, owed for a 17 year old girl starts playing yeah. by broken social scene. <laughs> yeah. And it's such a subtle joke because you need to know the name of the song to know that it's talking about Knives Chow in that moment. Yeah. And then they don't they don't call attention to it. It's just a complete one percent joke. Uh-huh. And then they just keep going. And then and then oh, then it follows it with another one. Then they get outside and uh, Gideon Graves, um, he's kind of showing off that he is in control of Ramona. And so then uh playing outside the speakers of his car is under my thumb by the Rolling Stones. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just such fun fun like like they bothered to be clever yeah and that's kind of all i can ask of anyone you know it's like i'm sitting down and giving you my time uh-huh. are, are you grateful for my time and you're going to bother to actually think about this and give me back something that's clever and fun you yeah know? yeah and the attention to detail and just the density of his movies is really like he's he's not phoning it in man like oh yeah it, it's really it makes you respect him like you love the movies but you also really respect him as a filmmaker because he does care about that thing and, and about the you know the 500 people who know that that broken social scene song title yeah uh, and i've got some of my favorite lines here too it's uh um and little stuff i mean michael sarah is so great like the cast oh, yeah. is just unbelievable got- in this movie but this he's feels like the role so he was endearing. like born to play. Yeah. Um, <laughs> f- from what I've heard, uh, basically, uh, Edgar Wright was a huge fan of Arrested Development, like we all were in the early 2000s. Yeah. And um, when he saw him, he was like, he had just gotten the rights to make the movie. Uh-huh. And and so he was like, oh, man, if Michael Sarah was just a little bit older, he would be this perfect Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Then, of course, the movie went into production hell and it got delayed by like five years. Yeah, perfect. And then, yeah, he was like, oh, perfect. <laughs> I can have my first choice now. He has aged into yeah. it. Well, and of course, Mae Whitman, she was from Arrested Development. Uh, yeah, yeah. And she plays Roxy. She's got a lot of funny lines in this movie, actually, because mm-hmm. she's kind of dumb and yeah. says things wrong. But uh, the uh, uh, you punched me in the boob, prepare to die, obviously. Uh, that's a great line from her. And then, jeez, uh, what was the other one? Oh, you're... And I, this is such a great dumb joke, but it gets me every single time. I literally laugh out loud. Your BF is about to get effed in the B. <laughs> yes. So simple. So, I, so I know. I'm a sucker for wordplay <laughs> like that. And there's a lot of great wordplay in the movie and a lot of really subtle lines for Michael Sarah because he's so low key, uh, mm-hmm. whether or not he's saying uh, she's America instead of she's American, just like little bitty jokes like that, or break out the L word lesbian, the other L word lesbians. (laughs) 
big Kieran Culkin fan too. Uh, oh yeah, he's no, he fantastic. Was perfect in this. in this. It was. I mean, obviously everyone loves Macaulay, but uh, you know, watch more Igby Goes Down and watch this movie, and you're gonna love Kieran. You know? Oh, he's the best. I love. I love yeah. Igby, Igby Goes Down. It's one of my favorites too. Um, Brandon Routh was very surprisingly funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did not know he had it in him, but he that was one of the funnier sequences was was him. And then, uh, of course, Thomas Jane is part of the uh, vegan police. Yes. Very, very funny stuff. You punch the highlights. He punched the highlights out of her hair. <laughs> uh, here's two more favorite lines. Uh, if I peed my pants, would you pretend I just got wet from the rain? <laughs> That's like a great song lyric or something. <laughs> And then uh, Kim has a great line, too, and says something about a secret. Sh- can we play a secret show? And she just throws it in there. All our shows are secret shows. <laughs> and it, it moves so fast. You know, there's so many lines coming at you. There are yeah. these little quick insert lines, especially from Kim, these little asides that uh, that just really, really hit home in, in the best way. Allison Pill is great. Oh, just so good. Well, one of my favorite gifts that I've used my... I guess for the past 10 years um, is uh, the one of Alison pill bringing her fingers up to her head as if she's going to shoot herself in the head, uh-huh. squeeze the trigger. And then the word bang comes out the other side and yeah. she falls down. <laughs> I use that gift far too often, but it's so perfect. Well, and everyone has a nice little arc too. Um, you still, mm-hmm. you can make a movie like this. That's fun and kind of batshit crazy and visually just bonkers, but you have to have good story and good character arcs and everyone has one, you know, uh, I feel like knives has one. Mm -hmm. I feel like Kim has one. She gets her little moment at the end where there's a, there's an understanding between she and Scott Mm -hmm. uh, when he Mm -hmm. apologized to her. Um, Ramona certainly does. Scott does. Uh, I think Julie Aubrey Plaza's Julie never really, I mean, she's, she's great (laughs) in the movie, but she, she doesn't have much of an arc. (laughs) No, (laughs) Um, yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. It, it, it's, um, it, it also, to me, just feels good. Like, I, I know uh, it actually has a lot in common with the movie you did last week, Still Crazy. Yeah. Because it's it's a music-centric, band-related, et cetera, et cetera. And th- there's, I, I'm, I would wonder, uh, I know you and I both play music. I would wonder people who have never been in a band and, like, never gone to those dive venues and never done those kind of just, like... To, to me, like essential parts of my childhood in my life, uh-huh. if it would if it would strike as 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 like close to the heart as it does with f- people like you and I. Yeah, I, I would like to think so, because I can watch, you know, remember the Titans and I know that it's a good film, despite the fact that I didn't play football. Right. Yeah, but but I, I don't know if um, perhaps it was a world you needed to live to feel its authenticity. Uh-huh. Like, I, I don't know. But but I I do know that like. That feeling of playing music with with friends and like yeah. being in sync with one another and actually creating something larger than yourself with this group of people, it, it just it it feels good when you're doing it. And I think watching this movie makes you feel that feeling as well. And yeah. it's just a good feeling. It, it feels yeah. happy. Yeah, I totally agree. And um, the band, the band stuff really works. Like we mm-hmm. already said, the music was great, but they they look the part it's they pull it off it, it feels like i didn't look it up but is is the guy who plays steven stills is he really singing that stuff he is yeah okay uh, I figured all, he was. all of the band had to learn their instruments except for michael sarah michael sarah already knew how to play bass okay but but the other members all had to learn it and then do it for real yeah it comes across and now that you say that yeah. beck wrote the songs it makes a lot more sense they sound a little becky that mm-hmm. sort of beater acoustic guitar makes more sense now. Yeah. Uh, I like that effect of that, that sort of 
beat up acoustic that's run through a distortion pedal for and like sure, a power sure. amp like you that's not something people do generally in a band but it's got a cool sound to it um well, what you should look up uh, when we're done here is um, there are versions you can hear of Beck performing his oh, songs cool. that he wrote for Sex Bomb. Yeah, they're wonderful, really good stuff. Yeah, I've seen, uh, as I'm sure you have, I've seen Beck a bunch of times over the years, and I always tell people you got to go see Beck. And even if people are like, yeah. "Well, I sort of just like him," and I'm like, "Just go see him live." It's, yeah. He's like uh, the the. It's a weird comparison, but if you see him live, you get it. He's like the James Brown of our time. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I feel I mean, like I mean, when you see him live. Dance moves aside, because he has yeah. some killer dance moves that I've tried to replicate <laughs> my whole life and never once come close to, but he pulls them off effortlessly, you know? Yeah. And and just the, what he's been doing for the past like 15 years with uh, doing stuff like Sea Change and Morning Phase, which are two of my favorite albums of all time by anybody. For sure. But then coming back and doing something like, uh, it was the album Colors, the one yes. two albums uh, ago. Two albums ago, right, just right like, before Hyperspace, yeah. Yeah, and Hyperspace, both just like mm-hmm. serious party albums. Yeah. And he's just sort of floating in between these worlds. And that band that he plays with live mm-hmm. is just so fucking kick-ass. They're able to just seamlessly kind of go back and forth when they did, you know, sort of the Sea Change Morning Phase stuff. It was like they had been replaced by different people. Uh, they right. were just so lithe and able to to bounce around between because he's a genre hopper anyway. You know, that's what he's always done. But uh, boy, it's just so, so great to see him live. I can't wait to go see live music again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I we're all 100% suffering. agree. I, I, I still have a big pile of uh, concert tickets and um, bracelets from festivals just sitting yeah. around my house that, that, are, that I couldn't go to, obviously. That I just can't bear to throw away. <laughs> oh, tickets you had? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, like I, I, I had some uh, noise pop um, festival t- things. I had um, Big Ears up in uh, Tennessee. I um, I had a whole bunch of tickets for um, – I, I live right here by the Earl, so I go to the Earl on a regular basis. Yeah, well, that's... I went to the Earl on a regular basis. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I have, I have um, some shaky knee, knees stuff. And uh-huh. it's just like, yeah, I I just – I I can't throw it away because it it's like, I don't know, almost like – admitting that it's gone it's never going to happen again i don't know no i'm with you i had a couple of big show tickets um uh i had the the um guns and roses at grant field i had tickets for that (laughs) yeah yeah and that didn't happen and then i had tickets for roger waters i had really good seats for roger waters and i was so looking forward to that and uh you know hopefully he'll come back um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, with, with with all the news of vaccines, I'm I much know. more optimistic today than I was a week ago. You know, no, totally, yeah. absolutely. A new season of Bridgerton is here, and with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the juicy. podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Chris Evans pops into the movie, just, yes. just Chris Evans <laughs> as Lucas uh, Lee. And he has that. I mean, that's one of the funniest sequences in the movie, I think, because he's so perfect for that part. Skateboarding onto the set. Uh, that one line where he where the stunt doubles come out and he goes, sometimes I let him do the wide shots when I feel like getting blaze back in my Winnie. <laughs> He's so great. I mean, he's just a national treasure, man. Everything that guy does is perfect, I think. Oh, yeah. No, and it's it's fun to see him being himself, too. Because I remember yeah. pr- relatively early on in his success of his career, he would still do things like show up on, like, Doug Loves movies and stuff like that all the time. Uh-huh. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, good for you, buddy. Like, yeah, you're, you're just a likable guy, and you're playing that role in life as well as in movies, and yeah. we all appreciate it. <laughs> he seems like a totally cool dude. Uh, I'm kind of mm-hmm. mad at him because of, like, how handsome and perfect he is while also being super cool and up for anything. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm looking for the cracks. There there should be something, but yeah, no, no. Yeah. There's, there's those John Hamm people in the world where you're just like, come on, be, be bad at something. I don't know. Be, have, be missing a hand. I don't know. Something. Yeah. I met John Hamm once very briefly and uh, I I wanted to kiss him. (laughs) Yes, of course. Of course. I wanted to kiss that sweet, handsome face. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was another very funny, uh, funny, very quick, subtle joke um, 
another great example how Edgar Wright just like it's just overstuffed with little quick lines that you got to see this movie a few times to really kind of get everything. But uh, when he's uh, when Chris Evans is grinding that rail on the skateboard and then that's really funny, super long, uh, long lens shot where he just burst into flames at the bottom. And the Very first wily thing, coyote. Yeah. <laughs> the first thing you hear is, well, that's a wrap, everybody <laughs> in the background. <laughs> It's 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 fantastic. And and I, I feel like Edgar Wright has done this again and again. Yeah. And I, I'm up for it every time. Like like um the jokes from his Cornetto trilogy, uh, uh Shaun of the Dead, um Hot Fuzz, and the one I always get confused with all the other movies about the end of the world. Right. Um The End of the World, The World's End, At World's End. I think the that's end. it. That's the only one I haven't seen. I still haven't seen that one. It's solid. I mean it's it's of course it is. You know, it's got all, all the great players. Yeah. But yeah, but but just think about how dense and structured Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead are. Like yeah. they're just they're perfection. Every single little off comment comes back in the end. Yeah. And like it, it just all pays off. It's all so funny. It, Edgar Wright really is a treasure. Like, like I don't know if he gets enough credit for what he does. He doesn't. Uh, I yeah. feel like he's one of those guys that's working sort of, he's leveled up and he's working on a different plane than a lot of other filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like what's going on inside his brain to be able to make any of his movies or to be able to visualize and storyboard uh, a baby driver or a Scott Pilgrim or, or any of them. They're just, uh, it's really, really impressive stuff. And it yeah. looks, and it feels effortless. They're just so easy to watch. <laughs> Yeah, no, no. Um, like, like for example, you know, there's um, when you were asking me which movie to pick. Yeah, there's to me, there's a big difference between what you think is the best movie and what you consider a favorite movie, as yeah. I'm sure most people do. Like, yeah, absolutely. If, if someone were to ask me what do I think is the best movie, I'd probably say The Master, the the, the Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh one. yeah, yeah. Just you know, the acting, the decisions, the 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 mastery of every single medium being delivered into like a solid chunk. I mean, The Master is probably the best movie yeah but how often do i watch it not that often i can watch scott pilgrim with ease Uh it's it's just it's (laughs) it's a nice you know warm cup of tea in the morning it's 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 perfect you know yeah and it was it's one of those that uh back when i had cable and you would just flip around you you can watch any part of it for 15 or 20 minutes and that is 15 or 20 minutes of your life that you're not going to want back you know definitely you can jump in there and just appreciate uh any part of this movie. Um, <laughs> Jason Schwartzman, unbelievable. One of my favorite actors. Do you so want to hear a perfect. funny thing about Jason Schwartzman in this? I'd love to know. I don't know if this story is public. Uh, a friend of mine knew him and, um, or still does know him. I don't know. I don't know him. <laughs> and uh, from this friend, he told me, he was like, oh man, Jason's really excited about this movie because this is going to be his first big blockbuster. And I'm like, what? No, no. Obviously he's been in tons of big blockbusters. He's like, oh, think again. Like, think about every movie Jason Schwartzman has done pre-Scott Pilgrim. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, very popular films, beloved, cult classics, uh-huh. but never like a blockbuster. So he's yeah, like, I mean, this Rushmore is it. wasn't some huge movie. No, no, none, none of his films have been. They've yeah. all been great, of course. I, I love Jason Schwartzman. But this was going to be his big breakout. Like, this was going to be his big studio wow. film. I'm an all-star now. And so what's funny was after the movie came out, I was like, oh, have, have you spoken to Jason? Did, did you find out? I was really excited. He's like, no. I'm like, why? He's like, it flopped. I'm like, it didn't flop. He's like, no, no, it flopped. I'm like, no, no, it's a great movie. It's really good. Like everyone loves it, but it flopped. And I, I'm still baffled by that, but whatever, you know? Yeah. I feel like it's definitely a movie that has had a tremendous second life Mm. post theatrical run. Um, Yeah. And you know, that happens. It's just one of those things where 
whether it was back in the VHS days or DVD or now streaming where a movie can just, I don't know, maybe it's timing. Uh, cause it is strange how, how th- that many people can love this movie. Cause I feel like it is a very beloved movie, mm-hmm. but maybe, I mean, I know that I didn't even really know much about the comic at all going in. Mm. Like, so when it, it, when it came out in the theaters, it wasn't something that grabbed my attention. Like, Oh my God, the Scott Pilgrim movie is out. Right. Right. So yeah, I guess it does come down to marketing. That, uh, that's always such a dangerous This is a tool. tough movie to market. <laughs> yeah. Admittedly. Yeah. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Ellen Wong as Knives Chow, mm-hmm. so cute, so endearing. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie does a thing where it kind of leaves you guessing up until the very end. Like, and I and not only guessing on what's going to happen, but I think l- makes you conflicted as a viewer of whether or not who you want Scott to be with. Like, right. you're kind of going back and forth between Ramona, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who was fantastic, and like you know, like every, every person who ever saw this movie has like a huge crush on her after this. Oh, of course. Yeah. That cool hair and just like her, like aloof persona, like every guy in the world is just <laughs> like, Oh my God, it was like my dream girl, you know, cause uh, we all want to be hurt. I think deep down, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, even watching it today, I was like, ah, do I want him to be with Ramona or knives? Knives is great. Yeah. Oh, well, did you know that there is an alternate ending to this film where he ends up with knives? Really? Yes, Does it's not on the uh, DVD me. and the Blu-ray, and um, and and yeah, well, because um, from what I have heard, basically, um, because there are I think six, yeah, there's six books mm-hmm. in the actual series. Only the first two were finished. Okay, when the when the uh, first draft of the script was written. Oh, so um, I know Brian Lee O'Malley, the guy that wrote the comics and drew the comics. He was very involved, just because Edgar Wright really wanted to involve uh-huh. him. So I'm sure he got all kinds of notes from Brian Lee O'Malley, like, oh, where do you think the story's going, et cetera, right. et cetera. But that, that's also it, – it makes a lot of sense if you read the comics and watch the movie where it, it's got kind of a Game of Thrones syndrome uh-huh. where, like, clearly the ones where they are basing it on the book, it's real stretched out and you got tons of time and energy spent there. Because think about it. Like, the first three uh, evil exes mm-hmm. take up, like – Oh, I don't know, three quarters of the movie. Yeah. And then like the last few are in rapid succession all at the end. Yeah, yeah. That's because those books weren't written yet. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so so those stories hadn't been fleshed out and there wasn't there wasn't there wasn't anything there. Like so so for example, um, you can tell the timeline of the movie by Ramona's hair because Ramona uh-huh. says she changes her hair every week and a half. Yeah, that's right. So she, it changes three times. So it's approximately four weeks. Right. You know, that's that's what we know. In yeah, the book you think about that. It takes place over a year in the books. Oh, really? So you see so much more of their lives. Uh-huh. You see um, Scott getting a job. You see Ramona, like, you know, going back and forth on how she feels about Scott. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, it's 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 like this real growth. You you see Knives turn 18. <laughs> like, all these <laughs> things happen in, in the books. And, and so it, it, it kind of makes um, one thing, which is like the reason why they're all kind of like as dedicated to each other as they feel like they are in the movie. It mm-hmm. makes a little more sense in the book because it's kind of like, you know, it, it unfolds more slowly and realistically, you know? Yeah. But it didn't suffer from it. I don't think. Um, oh, me either. Especially because like at that age, infatuation is so strong. Yeah. That, like, totally. It feels yeah, very I, real. Absolutely. I, I, I fully agree. <laughs> but, but, oh, but, but back to the alternate ending with knives chow. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating because it makes just as much sense, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Like, like it, it really does feel 
because ultimately it's the same scene, but instead of him walking off with Ramona, Ramona goes, you know, you two really were good together. Yeah. And then Ramona walks off alone and those two walk off together, you know? That almost feels like the more natural ending to this movie because Ramona is a loner. Yeah. Uh, She has a hard time committing. It's probably, Knives is probably the better choice. I mean, Scott's really immature, so maybe he should be with someone about five years younger than him. Maybe so. Uh, It is kind of funny what a big deal they make about that at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know she's 17 she's 17 and he's <laughs> what i guess like 22 yeah he's 22 yeah the actor who plays her though ellen wong uh i'm not sure how old oh uh she was 25 when they when she filmed this yeah i knew she was a little yeah. bit older because she's 35 now like she's older than brie larson by four yeah. or five years yeah 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 she, she's apparently young face oh, though <laughs> oh yeah for sure um a, a lot of the actors swapped up their ages a lot how like uh for example anna kendrick uh is actually older than michael Sarah, but plays his little sister right um there, there's apparently f- several things like that but you know they're, they're all around that 20s age yeah oh yeah anna kendrick is also just in this movie for a minute yeah. or two <laughs> yeah uh and brie larson just a little actor named brie larson i mean granted oh, it, she's blown up since then yeah. But uh, when you look at the cast, it's really, really pretty astonishing. I mean, basically everyone is an all-star in this. Like, e- even the people where I don't know their names, I still really like them in other movies. Like, the the guy that plays young Neil, yeah. uh, he was really wonderful in Jennifer's Body. <laughs> Did you ever see that movie? Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and just, like, dumb stuff like that, where it's just like, oh, yeah, no, that's a great actor. That's a great actor. That's a great actor. Like, they're all good. You know, no, no, there, there's, there's no... Um, there's no uh, weak chain on this movie at all. Everyone's perfect in what they're doing. Yeah, and I feel like he sort of, um, he broke some of these people. I mean. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. Some of them were in other movies, but like I said, Brie Larson wasn't that huge then. Anna Kendrick had yet to kind of really blow up, I think, at that point. Yeah, this was pre-Twilight, pre-Pitch Perfect. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the guy, like you were talking about, um, young Neil, Johnny Simmons, he has... Another very, very quick little joke that is so easy to miss. Um, early on in the Battle of the Bands, when he is side stage singing, um, he's singing along with the band, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I and love he, it. He goes, oh no, instead of saying, oh my. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he does that thing where, that where everyone's done it, where you mess up a word, and he goes, oh no, and then he goes, my. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because I I do think there's something very instinctual in all of us when we go see a concert that inside our bodies, we want to feel like we're involved. Yeah. And that's why we sing along. That's why we clap along. That's uh-huh. why we dance along. And, and then those moments happen where you think something's happening, but you're obviously wrong. And you're quickly reminded and embarrassed by the fact that, oh, wait, I'm not involved. Yeah, you're not a part of this. <laughs> I'm not, my contribution is not a part of what's making this great. I only feel that on the inside. (laughs) Yeah. Although, you know, and you know this too, and I know this isn't what you meant, but I've been to shows where the the crowd has clearly taken things up a notch. Yeah. Uh, I went to a, um, and the one that most recently that I'm thinking of and even had him on movie crush was Albert Hammond Jr. um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Played at Terminal West here. And it was, uh, Mm You know, I mean, I'll go to a show any night of the week, but those there's something about a Friday night show. Right. People have gotten off work. It's the beginning of the weekend. They're always better. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. People are partying a little harder and it's just a little bit more intense. But he uh, played on a Friday night on his last time through town. And it was just uh, just 
unbelievable how much more energy that show had because of the crowd and you could sense it in the band you could and he even said something he was like what is going on in atlanta tonight and he was like this is amazing and yeah. you could tell they were feeding off of it and i talked to him afterward and he and i was like that seemed like a great show and i always whenever i have the few times I've been able to like meet and know a musician and go backstage and stuff. I'm always like, was that a good show? Like, cause it felt great, but what do you think? Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing happened to a Dr. Dog show. I went to both times. They were like, yeah, dude, that was one of the best shows on the tour so far. And yeah. you, can, you can tell, you know, it's infectious. I, I had one of those moments uh, last year, obviously pre COVID uh, um, Slater Kenny was playing here in town and actually me and Noel went together to that show. Oh, cool. And, um, Obviously, uh, as as I'm sure you can tell from getting to know me now, uh, Noel and I are very similar people. I yeah. like Noel a lot. He's a great dude. Um, so we went to this show and... Um, I wanted to go uh, to that show. Yeah, it was great. It was really great. And um, then uh, Carrie Brownstein was up front because she was singing uh, her song, uh, Modern Girl. Mm-hmm. And the audience was singing along with such fervor and like ferocity along with her that she broke down into tears towards oh the end God. of the song. Are you kidding and, me? And it was just such a beautiful moment, Ugh. you know, of just to like have her experience Amazing. the love back in yeah. real time. It's great stuff. So yeah. cool. Uh, Music's uh, the greatest, which is, I think, what what makes this movie so great. <laughs> here's a little fun fact. Corin Tucker is uh, and her whole family are big Stuff You Should Know fans. That's wonderful. That's yeah, wonderful. she's cool. I've met her and I know her husband Lance a little bit, and uh, mm-hmm. she's actually going to be in conversation with Josh and I on one of our virtual book tour stops. Nice. Uh, nice. And she is just super nice and a, a wonderful, wonderful human being. So she is exactly how you would think she would be. That's perfection. I, that's that's all I want from her. And I'm, I'm happy it's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and great family too. They're just they're just wonderful people. Uh, another little quick joke. Uh, when she's going through the tea selection so fast, Ramona mm-hmm. in her apartment, um, liver disaster. Yes. <laughs> I always think twice about liver disaster because, because some of those are, are teas that I genuinely drink in my real life. Yeah. I, I genuinely, genuinely drink sleepy time tea pretty often. Yeah, I love sure. it. <laughs> so yeah, liver disaster. <laughs> well, I'm sure you've had throat coat if you, uh, oh, yeah. do you sing? Oh uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah, you got to got to keep i have a cup of uh peppermint uh bigelow tea right here next to me just in case i need it nice i had some english breakfast tea this morning oh nice nice. uh the i also wanted to comment too on you like how good the music is is really evidenced in that little acoustic ramona song that Mm -hmm. uh michael Sarah in the movie michael you know scott pilgrim writes for her yeah it's that's such a great little chord progression Mm -hmm. there's something Mm -hmm. about it it's uh it feels sort of frank blackie and sort of pixies-esque but um i don't did beck do that do you know he did he did yes yeah and there's a chord sequence just gets me there's a full-length version of it on the soundtrack that's Uh, wonderful really good stuff but uh no you know you're you're absolutely right like there's just this there's this X factor in music that a lot of people have kind of like talked about before, but when you get it right, it just feels so right. Yeah. And I, I wonder, um, uh, do you know about the whole thing of uh, aesthetic bliss for Zon? Have you ever, have you ever talked about th- thought about that before? No. 
but more or less, and, and this is, I'm nowhere near smart enough to know the science behind this, but uh, frisson is the feeling when you're listening to music or watching a movie mm-hmm. and you get the chills go up your spine. Oh, yeah. Okay? Sure. And um, yeah, it's it's a French term and it translates to aesthetic bliss. Okay. And um, I'm a person who experiences that often, yeah. uh, music especially, like when, when, when a certain chorus kicks in yeah. or a certain like change happens, like I'll, I'll get that often. I get those chills from this movie like five or six times. Yeah. Like there are just so many moments that feel so right. Yeah. And, um, and I, it's, I think it's the music. I think the music and the tone of music and the feeling of music. And I think anyone who's a music fan just feels a part of it. And yeah. I, I guess it's kind of like the singing along thing where it's like, I'm a part of this. I'm involved. You know, Yeah, it makes you want to go grab your guitar and learn that yeah. chord sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I was trying to follow along, but, um, I'll 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 hear the song later and I'll get up my guitar and I will start playing that Ramona song. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's so great. And you know how they fuse the music and the the video game stuff and fantasy and reality in the movie how it's mm. uh you know it's definitely a fantasy film in a lot of ways but it's also grounded in that you know when Scott's doing these fights uh his sister is just looking like, what the fuck is he doing? Like, how does he know how to do that? And it just sort of right. dances between these worlds very deftly. Uh, and it, it's, it's a bit of a miracle of a movie, I think, to be able to pull this off. It was very risky and it could have gone wrong a lot of times and it just never did. There's a couple of things about what you just said. First of all, that moment, which is wonderful with Anna Kendrick, when he's doing the first fight um, yeah. uh, in the um, in the club and um, Matthew Patel, when yeah, Matthew, Matthew Patel comes Patel. in, that's 30 minutes into the film before uh-huh. we get our first fight scene. Like that's, that is gutsy. And I really, really appreciate that. Cause it's, it's kind of like a from dusk till dawn kind of thing. Uh-huh. We're like, Oh, okay. We're having a heist movie vampires. You know? Yeah. Like that's, you, you don't, if you don't know the story, it, it's right. It feels just like a really kind of fun, uh, interesting romantic comedy with a different spin on it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden at that first plot point, that act break, you you know what's going to happen as he's got to all of a sudden the stakes are there he's got to fight these evil exes and that's when the movie just kind of goes up again it, le- <laughs> it levels up to use a video game term and i think that moment with anna kendrick when she she just goes like what yeah. <laughs> and you just i think she's reflecting the audience there where you you acknowledge that the film has acknowledged that this is confusing <laughs> you yeah know? yeah absolutely uh, uh i yeah. love everything about it it's a movie that i want to see a sequel for I don't yeah, know if that is great. a thing or not. Uh, not not really in the books because the books wrapped up there. Um, so I would love it too. Yeah, I, I I want that. Maybe we'll get lucky. You know. Well, I'm reading now. It says uh, Edgar Wright has revealed he's in tentative stages of planning a new, possibly animated project with the original material, but a big screen sequel is unlikely. Hmm. Well, I'll that, take anything. Yeah. No, totally. That would still be yeah. a lot of fun. I mean, everyone's I, a little old now. I don't. Uh, Michael Sarah, what he's he's probably too old to play Scott, isn't he? I mean, unless they did that thing where the the film jumps forward in time, right? You know, like um, did you ever read the graphic novel for Fight Club Two? No, I heard about that though. It's really interesting, and the way that they accomplish it is basically they jump forward in time because uh-huh. obviously that the, if the story continued right where they left off, it would more or less be the same. But they jumped forward to they're married, they have a kid, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, interesting. And, and so then it is much more of like a, oh, what could be happening? Let's catch up. Almost like 7-Up style, you yeah. know? So, so that, that's something. Um, 
in 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 the regard to like this movie being just like so strange structurally and being kind of a fantasy and kind of all these things um i heard edgar wright say this thing once where basically he considered this film to be a musical except instead of breaking into songs they broke into fights <laughs> that's that great. makes sense yeah, you know that's fantastic like, like, I, I feel that because especially, you know, like in most musicals, there's no reason for them to break into song. It just yeah. kind of happens at like a heightened point of emotion. Uh-huh. Same thing. There's no real reason for these fights to break out. Yeah. But in the logic of the world, it makes sense, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, dude, I, I feel like we could keep talking, but I have to go get my daughter from school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so unfortunately, we have to cut this short. But I think... Seth, you have worked your way into the regular rotation if you're up for it. <laughs> Anytime you need me, that's what I'm here for. Sweet, man. That's awesome. This is a lot of fun. It's good to get to know you. Uh, you as well. I'm glad the listeners have gotten to know you a little bit. And, uh, you know, whether you like it or not, you're going to start coming on like every, you know, six or seven weeks, maybe. <laughs> you got it. Sounds great, buddy. Thanks a lot. Movie Crash is produced and written by Charles Bryant and Noel Brown. Edited and engineered by Seth Nicholas Johnson and scored by Noel Brown here in our home studio at Ponce Market, Atlanta, Georgia for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility a new season of bridgerton is here and with it a new season of bridgerton the official podcast i'm your host gabby collins and this season we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton watch season three of the shondaland series on netflix then fall in love all over again by listening to bridgerton the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.